you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Genesis 2 for a little bit, and we'll be in Revelation 21 and 22 for quite a bit. So as I uh, open mine up, you know, we have, we're at, this is uh, heaven 14, I think. So if, if my math is right, that means we've had 13 other heaven sermons. And uh, if you, uh, the whole idea of this is to try to get us to understand what is coming, um, what is, uh, uh, what we can look forward to. Um, we have those charts out there, which is essentially a systematizing of, of what uh, heaven's all about. You know, we've talked about, uh, we're spending a lot of time in this place called uh, final heaven, uh, which is equal to final earth. Um, and I think I want to make sure you understand that why are we doing this? You know, you think about it's February. If if you have the sh chance, maybe you've already done this, but if you haven't, you know, you, it's a good time to go south when it's warmer sometimes. Uh, and, you you know, when you have a vacation like that, you kind of anticipate that. You're like, okay, that's something I'm looking forward to. Uh, well, this is kind of what we're doing with heaven here. This is something you can look forward to. Uh, the brochures are in here, mostly in uh, in different places in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and it's given to give us hope and to give us the promise of what we can have. I mean, the main thing is that is the diamond in the middle. Um, it's all based on our belief in Jesus. Do we follow Him? And you know, we lift that up as a church because Jesus did. I mean, He's the one that says all this stuff, right? You know, they didn't kill him because he was a nice guy, although he was. They killed him because he wouldn't back down. He said, I'm the way. I'm the only way. And they didn't like that. Um, and there are people who don't like it now. But it really comes down to, is it true? And we preach and teach that it's true. But so that's the key. You know, how do I come, how do I know that this is a brochure uh, that I can read through and be sure that I'm going to get to go on this vacation forever. I don't know if it's a vacation, but it's at least a place to live. So we're talking about this, and we're hitting the final heaven because it just doesn't get talked about that much. Um, even when someone dies in the Lord, what, what do we say? You know, they go to a better place. Well, they do, but it's not the final place. In fact, it's not really talked about that much in the Bible. There's a little bit. There's a lot about the final heaven and the, and the final earth, which is essentially the same place. Again, the idea is that where God is is where heaven is. And right now he's in what we would call current heaven. Um, and the people who die in the Lord are with him along with the holy angels. And eventually that's going to come down and you get this new Jerusalem, which we'll talk about as we hit those. But, so some have said that the new heaven is a return to Eden. And we can... Eden doesn't get a lot of press, but it gets some. Uh, it's in the beginning, and we're going to look at that text here. In some ways, it is, and there's no sin in Eden, and there's no curse in Eden, and that's very similar. But in other ways, it's not. A lot has happened since Eden, if you didn't know that. I mean, how many Super Bowls have we had since Eden? What are you up to, like 50-something? 57, is that where we are? Yeah, I was going to say 54, so there you go. Um, there really hasn't been a real good Super Bowl since 86, but uh, <laughs> you can look that up and figure out who I'm a fan of. But, uh, but, uh, but I think, you know, there's a lot of things. There's been innovation. There's things that we use. Um, I don't 
think that's probably going to go away. You, you know, when you read through the first chapter of Genesis, which someday we'll do a sermon series on, you know, God said it happened and it was good. And it's the word good, which is not a bad word. It's a good word. But it's not the word perfect. You know, Adam and Eve were good. They were innocent. But they weren't perfect. Um, they weren't morally perfect, which happens in the new heaven and the new earth. But all those experiences we take with us. So the other thing we have to remember, and, and we'll, if you are there, verse 8 in chapter 2 kind of helps us with this. We're, it says, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. We forget this. Eden is not a garden. Did you, did you know that? There's a garden in Eden, and that's called the Garden of Eden. It's not, you know, I don't know. I didn't come up with these names. But, but Eden was an area. And if you read through other parts, Psalms and some of Ezekiel and some of Isaiah and even some of Revelation, Eden was supposed to be the place where they started the domain of the earth as things were created. And eventually that was supposed to take over the whole earth. And we also know that Eden, we were pretty sure if you read Ezekiel 28, that Eden was on a mountain, which gives you a little bit different picture. Uh, kind of reminds me of that movie that was, I thought it was a really good book and it was kind of a good movie, Holes. You guys, anybody remember that one? If you haven't seen that, they, they get up on this mountain and there's kind of a little garden of onions. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that, but they taste good, you know. And then you get, what was it, smoosh or something like that. You know, watch the book or watch the book, yeah. Yeah, and read the movie, either one, I don't care. <laughs> but, but I mean, again, that, that gives you a little picture, smaller. But Eden was something different than sometimes we, we think. It was supposed to be the place that humanity dwelt in, and obviously something happens, which is, is happens quickly when they take of the tree they're not supposed to. Um, and when you look at how this is, so it's a return in some ways, but it's going to be far better. And I know I've been pushing these uh, quite a bit, but it's because I like them. And, and if you think that the Chronicles of Narnia are for kids, then you're missing something. There's a lot of depth in, in these. They're, they're good for kids, too. And some of them have been made into movies that you can read <laughs> or watch at your leisure. The, the, um, but in the last battle, uh, this, which is the last book of the series, the seven-book series, Essentially, what has happened is Narnia has been destroyed, completely obliterated. And the characters in there, the, the kings, the, the kids that became adults, they're not, you know, they're like, oh, man, you know, Narnia's gone. You know, there was things that we liked in Narnia, you know. And then they go to this new creation, and they start looking at things. And they start seeing that, that looks familiar. And that, that little mountain pass looks familiar. And they start going and they start starting to figure out something's different. And I'm just going to read you a portion of this from this, uh, from the last battle. It says, suddenly Farsight, the eagle, spreads his wings, goes 30 or 40 feet up into the air, circling round and then alighted on the ground. Kings and queens, he cried, we have been blind. We're only beginning to see where we are. From up here, I have seen it all. Beaver's Dam, the Great River, Kar Pavel, which was the palace, still shining on the edge of the eastern sea. Narnia is not dead. This is Narnia. Well, how can this be, said Peter? For Aslan told us 
older ones that we should never return to Narnia, and here we are. Yes, says Eustace, and we saw it all destroyed and the sun put out, which if you think about this, this kind of goes back to First Peter. You know, well, this earth, this world is going to be destroyed. We just sang about that. You want me to sing it for you? Yeah, notes and music, yeah, gifts. You know, the earth shall soon dissolve like snow. You know, that's just kind of what this is talking about. And eventually, the eagle is right, said Lord Diggory. Listen, Peter, when Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow, a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here, just as our own world, England, and all that is the shadow, a copy of something in Aslan's real world. You need not mourn over Narnia, Lucy. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course it is different, as different as a real thing is from a shadow or as walking in life is from a dream. So that, I thought that was that's kind of what we're looking at. I mean, I think there'll be things in the new heaven and new earth that are familiar to us, but they're much greater than we can imagine. And what Revelation 21 and 22 does is try to give us a picture of what that might look like. And John, in the, the apostle John, who is given this vision, writes it down and helps us understand. So we need to think about that all that we love about the old earth, the earth we're in now, will be ours in the new earth. And in the same form or another, I mean, I'm a, I mean, I better be careful with numbers here, but, you know, maybe Super Bowl 508 will be in the new heaven, in the new earth. I don't know how that works, but maybe, hopefully now is kind of a semi-fun time for you right now in worship, but the, the fun you'll have at the Super Bowl, I mean, that's not going away, right? We're going to, those things we really cherish are the things that you'll have that's just the bad things get taken away. Now, the Bible describes heaven as both a country and as a city in Hebrews 11 and 12. And 15 times in Revelation 21 and 22, the place is called a city. And sometimes I look around here and we got some people that don't live in the city. In fact, I don't either. I live in a small town called Denison. <laughs> yeah. This is a big city. And sometimes we think about that. But don't, it, it's again, it, it's, it's the idea, it's a place of the dwelling of God. This is picture language. We have to be careful with the way we look at it. Some of us forget the way cities and country worked back then. Did you know that when you talk about farmers in the Bible, that those are the city dwellers? People don't think that. Now that's not true, right? It was the shepherds that were the country people. You know, if you were a farmer, you lived in the city and you went out and worked your fields. That's kind of, so you had city dwellers and now we've kind of changed that. But don't get caught up in that. The idea of the new Jerusalem, it's the center of the new earth. It's not the whole thing. And it's a big 14,000 mile cube. That's a big cube, isn't it? And in Revelation 21, 15, and 16, it gives us a picture of this. And if you can think about it, you know, and again, I, I've always said that if you're, it's good in, in my mind, if you can conceptualize this in, in like you're making a movie, how would you make this look? In, in, in verse 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. 
The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and it measured the length of 1,400 miles. Its length and its width and its height are equal. So that's where we get that. It's a cube. But this is, again, it's a picture. I mean, I said that, I think, a couple weeks ago. Wouldn't it really be bad if you were on the bottom of the cube? And I know as a Star Trek guy, it kind of reminds me of the Borg, but that's another discussion. But it's again, it's a picture. It, it, it shows us something real. And when you look at this, this is, there's another cube that we get in, in the Bible, a perfect cube. You see this in 1 Kings. The inner sanctuary of the holy place was 30 foot long, 30 foot wide, and 30 foot high. He overlaid the inside with solid gold. He also overlaid the altar made of sea. So something going on. So what's going on here is the new Jerusalem is supposed to be the most holy place. It's cube idea. And then you have gates. In Revelation 12, we, we hear about these gates. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. I wonder what they look like. Uh, I guarantee you they look like those fat cherubs you're going to see on Tuesday. That is, I mean, would you like that? You're going up to a gate, and this, this angel's guarding it, and it's... <laughs> I mean, that's not what we're looking at here. This is, uh, these are something you can, probably quite imposing. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates... And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So what a cool picture. Three gates on each side, and each one giving credence to the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the Lamb, which uh, I'm thinking one of those doesn't have Judas on there. It's probably Matthias is my guess. But what, why, why are we being told this? You know, is it really going to look like that? Well, I think the idea that it's guarded by angels is you don't have to worry. Security is there. It's always something in this world. You never know. There's always risk every time you go somewhere, isn't there? Because evil is here. We're going to be permanently secured by our God. That's what this is trying to tell us. But what about this city? Is this the only city in heaven? Are they going to... I mean, if you're going to have a Super Bowl, you have to have another city, right? Jerusalem versus Kansas City, right? Yeah. In a parable, Jesus says that this master says to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said, you will be over five cities. It looks like in here there's going to be more, but the new Jerusalem is going to be the key city. There's going to be a spatial place. You know, how's that going to work? Well, I'm not uh, completely sure. But Revelation, again, verse 11 in this same text tells us that having the glory of God, its radiance like most rare jewel, jasper, clear as crystal. It talks about having golden streets and in verse 21, and of the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. You know, this is, this is, this is trying to, this is what John is seeing. All this stuff that we see as being wondrous is just normal construction material in the new, in the new Jerusalem. And then we get to the two main things I want to talk about. The river of life is in there. We see this throughout Scripture. From God's throne in verse 22, in verse 1 of 22, 
the angel shows me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This goes throughout Scripture, this river idea. We get this idea of this pure water that comes. And Jesus does this when he talks to the woman at the well. He talks to this woman who comes in, who this is another uh, rabbit trail that I'll try not to go down. I don't think she's the bad woman that make people make her out, and I think I've got good reason for that. But anyway, she comes, and he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water, she's going to get water, that's why we call her the woman at the well. Yeah, let's make sure you're still awake. Um, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up in eternal. So it's provision for us. It's that that river flowing out of the middle, and you get this even in Ezekiel, where the perfect temple in chapters 40 through 47, and you get this river flowing way back in a book written in the 6th century B.C., this river of life. And what is it for? It's for the healing of the nations. It's giving us life ongoing and ongoing. So you see, it's mentioned four times in here. It's an important thing. It's referred three times. The tree of life is mentioned four times in Revelation. And then you see this in Genesis, the tree of life. This is a big point. Have you ever thought about this? Were Adam and Eve immortal, created that way, or were they mortal and they had to eat of the tree each day? Anybody want to vote? I've never thought about that till I started reading this, and I don't know which one's true, but there's something about this tree, because there were two main trees in there, right? There were the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was a no-no, although we know it was quite pretty. It was probably a red maple, is my guess. I don't know what color, but it had fruit that you're not supposed to touch, so it probably wasn't a red maple then, was it? Let's go with apple, yeah, yeah. But, but this other tree, the tree of life, we kind of missed that, and it's in the center, and it shows up again in Revelation. Adam and Eve were designed to live forever, it seems, that they wouldn't deteriorate age-wise, but when they were separated from the garden and the tree, they died. Something happened. Now, maybe it's just a metaphor. I don't know. Maybe it's a metaphor for God giving them that. I don't know, but here it shows up again. The tree. Now, where is the tree now? I just read an article in Science Digest that they think they found something that can make mice live longer. Some sort of blood transfusion or something that they can do. That's what people try to do that. We try to figure out how can we make ourselves live longer. I don't know if I'm even on board with that. Why would I want to live longer here? You know, I'm, I'm over the hill. I'm not off the hill yet, but... You know, you get to the point where yeah, I'm okay, you know, and I know people like that. I've done their funerals where, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, you know. Well, when you think about it, if you could, if they could, and this is kind of almost like Charles Dickens, if they could have continued to eat from the tree of life and live, but their bodies kept deteriorating, <laughs> Would that be good? Remember, you remember the Christmas Carol? If you've seen the, if you haven't read the book, you see that you know Marley had that thing tied around his head, and when he took it off, his chin came down. Is that what you want? 
Is that, I don't think we want that. You know, it's the idea of living forever is a curse if you're not living with God. That's the red part of your chart. You know, we believe that we have it in our statement of faith at, at the end, in the free statement of faith, that people who don't know Christ will live forever. It's just where will they live? They'll live in separation from Him forever, which nobody in this world has ever experienced. The worst atheist still experiences God's grace on this earth. He lets the laying fall on the just and the unjust. What Christ has done in the spirit and the hearts of people still permeates the culture and helps even the person who's rejected, but eventually that's going to change. So where is the tree now? If we could get to this tree, this is a question, and you can do what you want with it. Would you want to eat from it? You know, I remember back in... Uh, when Hezekiah was about to die and he was praying to the Lord and Isaiah was involved in that and asking if he could live longer because he wanted to do more. And Hezekiah was a pretty good king. Well, there were very many of them back then, but there, he was one of the good ones. And God granted his request. And he had another kid by the name of Manasseh who was one of the worst kings that ever came to the throne of Judah. One wonders what would have happened if he would have died. <laughs> Manasseh, who knows? But again, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. But where is this? Would you take it if you could get it? You know? And I'm saying, would you want to live forever here given what you know, these wonderful sermons are telling you about what you're looking forward to? The cool part is the living water, the tree, all that, it'll all point to Jesus, right? And Jesus said it to Martha quite clearly in John 11. If you believe in me, you'll never die. What is he talking about? Did Martha die? What's, he's talking about dying spiritually, dying in a way that you're separated from the Father. That's what he's talking If you believe in me, you'll never be separated from and those who die in the Lord now, they're never separated from the Spirit. I don't know what that looks like. We've, we've, you've got some books that people experience, you know, near-death experience. I, I like reading those. those uh, in fact, I read them enough that I just call them NDEs, and people are like, what's he talking about? You know, NFL, NDE, no, near-death experiences. People have had these. Now, I'm sure some of it's probably the loopy drug they gave them. I don't know. But some of it makes some sense. There's a transition. I don't know how it works. You know how that, that's put in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? How does Lazarus get to heaven? Anybody remember? That was not a rhetorical question. But the angels take him. I'll do a book drop here. Uh, I've got a couple of them. It's, you know, th those Bibles we have for the kids. and <laughs> Kids, yeah, just like Narnia. Uh, I read these all the time. <laughs> They're the, the graphic novel Bibles we have, the three set, and I've got some if you want. The, uh, those things are cool. Well, the guy who, who set that up was Randy Elkhorn, uh, who actually wrote the book Heaven that we're using as a paradigm for this sermon series. Well, he wrote a book, short, about 100 pages, comic book, so you can read it fairly, called Eternity. 
And it's about Lazarus and the rich man, and it goes a little deeper into it. It's, it's extra biblical in places, but they've got a picture, and I can see it. You can't because you, if you haven't seen the book, but the angels, are they're going off the earth. They're going up somewhere. And of course, the first thing I'm thinking of is that I'm, I'd be thrown up. I don't want to throw up before I get to heaven. But I'm, one, I'm hoping God gives me the, you know, where I can do roller coasters. But as long as we don't twist too much, I'll be all right. But Lazarus in that, who, if you remember him, you know, was getting scraps that dogs ate in his life. He's just beaming. It's just a cool picture. If you get a chance, I've got one. If you want to look at it, you know, it's just, you can get it. It's called Eternity by Randy Elkhorn. But the key is, once you know Christ here, he never leaves you. The Spirit's always there. So there's a transition. I don't know how it works. I've not been there. Um, but where's that tree? That tree that, well, Jesus in the second chapter of Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Well, where's paradise? Well, paradise is another word for what we're calling current heaven. Remember Jesus on the cross with the, the one bandit, or actually probably murderer? <laughs> Today you will be with me in paradise. You know, that's what we call that. So that's where it's at. And how a metaphysically physical tree is and a metaphysically non-physical heaven, I'm not sure. I'll let God figure that part out. But that's the idea of the tree is essentially access to God and what God gives us. You know, you probably don't think about that. You know, we've been sitting here for not quite an hour. How many times has your heart And who made sure that happened? You know, you can have a naturalistic explanation that our brains and our physiology does that, but in the Bible it says that every beat is God. Everything. The, the fact that you're even able to get here is because of Him. And acknowledging that is, is good. So the tree of life gives us information that this tree is able to, the way it's put in the Bible and Revelation and in Ezekiel, heal the nations. Well, it doesn't mean they're sick. It means to get them vigor and strength and eternal life. That's what it's talking about. The nation, everybody, everybody who follows Christ. So think about that. Even in heaven, the final heaven, the reason that you continue to live is because of God's gracious provision. That's why those beings are worshiping him. They really realize for the first time, we probably will when we get there, how much dependent we were on him. I was coming to a Bible study Wednesday night. And we do have that if you want to come. It's what? Well, it's a meal at 6.30, Bible study at 7. Um, but if for all ages, uh, even like really short ones and tall ones, everything in between. Uh, but we were coming, I actually had my granddaughter with me and you know, one of those wonderful uh, four-way stops in Denison. Um, and I think I did it right. I waited in my turn, but the guy here did not, apparently the stop sign was not red enough for him. And here he comes, you know. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, the chances of me not getting hit, and it is slim and none. So I slam on my brakes and kind of go like that and just brace because it's going to happen. And then he, I see him go, and his face is like, ah, you know. 
and goes off into the sunset, and I didn't get hit. And I'm like, okay, maybe it wasn't quite as close as I thought, but then the thought, of course, came to me. It's like, I wonder if there was, you know, be careful with this, because, you know, I wonder if there's an angel just kind of went, Phew. And I wonder when we get to heaven, how many times God was providing for us and we didn't know it. You know, we remember things like that. But what about the times that we don't even know something was going to happen? With the proverbial cartoon character going under the anvil and we don't even see it. I don't know. I, I think uh, in one of Randy Elkhorn's other books, he talks about heaven a lot and the experiences that might be there. And this angel comes up to this character, a uh, person who had died and went to, and starts to give her all of the times he was with her. And that was kind of cool. And I don't know, you know, maybe it was just dumb luck. I don't know. But, uh, and it wouldn't have been my fault, but don't you hate that when it's not your fault? And you got to go get an estimate, and then you got to get it fixed, and then they usually not fixed quite the way it was before. You know, so what? It's not my fault. That's just the money side, right? I mean, I, but I thought, thanks God. And isn't that goofy to thank God that many times for something that low? Because it wouldn't have hurt anybody, I don't think. It just hurt my car. But I'm like, thank you, Lord, that I didn't have to go through all that paperwork. In the new earth, we'll still have needs. That, just like we do now. We have needs to do, but, but they'll all be met. That's the thing that we're getting told here. And do you ever think about the natural wonders, that they're going to be more spectacular than you can. It's not going to be worse. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of beautiful things going on, right? I mean, I, I've never been there. Anybody been to Victoria Falls? I've been to Niagara. That's pretty cool. I mean, but that's just probably a start, the natural wonders that we have now. If you think about it, the universe, maybe there's more going on there. We're going to talk about this a little bit next week. The universe is vast. We know that. We have telescopes that can show it. As far as we know, the only sentient life that we have found is here. We even have a government-funded group that's trying to find E.T. That's just extraterrestrial, not the dude that actually ate the Reese's Pieces. Uh, but think about, you know, if you, I don't know if you've studied Mars at all. You know, I can tell my geekiness here a little bit, but there is a mountain on Mars that's 80,000 feet high. You know, the highest we got is like 30, 29. I mean, just amazing. And then we're not even talking about like Jupiter and, other, and then, then these other planets we haven't even. There's a canyon that goes a sixth of the way around Mars. It's 450 feet or miles deep, 300 miles wide, and can hold over 100 Grand Canyons. I mean, I've been to the Grand Canyon, but who's been to the Grand Canyon? Yeah. It's grand, isn't it? Hence the name. In fact, I went down the Grand Canyon and back up the Grand Canyon all in one day, which was stupid. <laughs> I thought I was going to be in the new heaven, or the, the current heaven. <laughs> about halfway up. I don't know if you knew this, this is, uh, this is kind of technical science stuff, but it's harder to go up than down. 
I'm going down. I'm like, this is no big deal. One of my friends, two of them were marathon runners, cheaters. The other guy is kind of like me, and he stopped about halfway down. I'm like, wuss. I went all the way down. I wasn't that bad. You know, we were down there, and we were talking to people, and you, you say, well, are you going to stay down here? Well, no, we're going back up there. You don't want to do that. Oh, yeah, how hard can it be? I got about two-thirds of the way up, and every muscle in both legs was cramping. That was my last three hours of going, or almost four, going up that. So this one in Mars, I'm not doing that if I get up there. I'm not going down that sucker and back up that sucker. <laughs> so if you do go to the Grand Canyon, do not go up and down in one day. That's neither smart nor prudent. Um, but again, the, the beauty of that. I remember thinking when I was there, as we looked at it, as we're going down, and as you go down and even, well, go up, I tried, but it's like, eh. Uh, but definitely down. Wasn't, it was so much more joyful to share the beauty with someone else. I mean, you think about that. Um, you can watch the Super Bowl yourself today, and maybe that's the way you want to do it. But who do you high-five? I mean, think about it, you know. Self-high-five, that's not much. That's just clapping. <laughs> you know, it, it's the joy. Why do we come together, you know? Because we, that's it. We get to enjoy this together. And I think, again, you know, we've said this before. I'll say it again. You know, people will say, skeptics, it's like, well, you just want that. And it's like, I do. But it's also revealed by God to us. You know, they, you know, like they said, I've said this before, I'll say it again. You know, well, that's just pie in the sky theology. Well, there's even pie up there. There's not, right? And the Bible tells us it's a really, really good pie. This is really something to look forward to. And when we say these little pastorisms, it's like, well, you, didn't, you weren't built to live in this life. It was the next life. It's like some people think we're just, it's not that we don't take responsibility here. We're still supposed to follow Christ here. But that is true, right? I mean, mathematically, how many years are you going to live here compared to the new heaven and the new earth? Could be a little lot more in the next one. So we probably should do things here that get us ready for that. And the best thing you can do to get ready for heaven is to know Jesus better. Because if you know Jesus, you know the Father and you have the Spirit. You have, you have the main... And then... God is so glorious and wondrous and gracious to us, we also get to know other people. Isn't that cool? That's why at funerals, we, we call it for believers. It's a temporary separation. I know that's hard. It's not fun to go through, but it's real. Every day we live, we live for Him. Every day we get a little closer to that final. And we let Him take care of the timing. I think that's probably the way to do it. So you think about the different beauty, and we'll kind of sum up here. There's different beauty that for one person than another. I've been talking about the Super Bowl. You might be thinking, I hate football. And that's, that's okay. You can hate football. That is just fine. I've learned to appreciate things over my life. I said that in the Bible study. I used to just watch these movies, and they'd start singing in the middle of the movie. And I'm like, well, why don't you just talk? I think they call them musicals. But as I have gotten older, I really like those now because I started to appreciate what was going on. And 
I'm not saying you have to go to the football game and watch the, you know, 90% of you are just going to be eating and talking anyway. But it's fun to be together. But think about the different kind of, to the, I haven't used the Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings, there's two characters in the Lord of the Rings. There's an elf and there's a dwarf. And if there isn't two different types of people or beings in Middle Earth, the elf likes the woods and the beauty and all that stuff, and they do that well. The dwarf likes to be underneath building and all that kind of stuff. And what you find out in The Lord of the Rings is the elf character and the dwarf character start to appreciate what the other one is good at. The elf starts appreciating the beautiful underground cities that his, this, these dwarves were able to, and, to create, and the dwarf starts to understand the beauty of the woods and the swiftness of an elf, even though that's not something that really gave them joy. So if you don't like football, maybe don't go to the football games in New Heaven and New Earth. Don't go to it now. But do whatever you can to honor God. Because you think he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. But the new things, in some ways, will still be familiar. Let us pray. Father, as we go through uh, these two chapters that uh, in Revelation and in most Bibles in the New Testament, we... Uh, what glory you have shown us. We know we don't know it all. We know that there's a lot that's hidden. We know a lot of it's probably metaphoric and figurative language, but it shows us that you've prepared a place for us, that you will create something that we are going to be glorified for if we follow your son. May each one of us realize that, that we're not supposed to necessarily aim for heaven. We're supposed to aim for Jesus. And may we want to follow him, know him, have faith in him, live in a way that honors him. And if we follow Jesus with all our hearts, might, mind, and strength, we'll get heaven thrown in.